0: Psalm 84. To the choir master, according to the Gittith, a psalm of the sons of Korah. I don't know if you ever thought like this, but uh, perhaps it's me. Uh, but I always think when you get things like this, that it, it, don't, you, don't you find it's a bit odd? Don't you want to go, what was the Gittith? That you do that? Do you want to not know that? I mean, probably some theological person will tell me this. The trouble is when I read sort of these sort of things, I always think of sort of like those things that they, um, that they invent to tell children stories. So for those that have got children, I'd like you to read this in this way. The older ones, you will miss this completely, but it's good homework. I'd like to do it like this. To the choirmaster, according to the Gruffalo, a psalm to the <laughs> sons of Korah. There we go, so there we go, just for, do not think like, okay, one, how lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts, my soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord, my heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God, even the sparrow finds a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young at your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise, Selah. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose hearts are in the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Bachar, they make it a place of springs, the early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. O Lord of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Behold, our shield, O God, look upon the face of your anointed. For, the day, for, one, for a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere, I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of God, of my God than dwell in the twen- tents of wickedness. I know said in the wents of uh, tickedness, but there you go. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. Uh, you don't have to turn to this. Uh, But 1 Chronicles 26, just uh, some pieces from there. As for the divisions of the gatekeepers of the Korites, verse 12, these divisions of gatekeepers corresponding to their chief men had duties just as their brothers did ministering in the house of the Lord. Verse 17, on the east there were six each day, on the north four each day, on the south, four each day, as well as, the two, as two and two at the gatehouse. And for the colonnade on the west, there were four at the, at the road and two at the colonnade. These were the divisions of the gatekeepers among the Korites, the sons of Meri or whatever it is. I'm just going to leave one slide and then that's going to be it for today. So we'll just do it, leave it like that. And there's a reason for, for, for doing that, apart from you might look at my physique behind you. Uh, the Korites the uh, were the, the caretakers, if you like, the, the stewards, the doorkeepers... Of the house of the Lord. And these guys, what they would do is that they would stand in the approach to the temple and the approaches to the temple and they would serve the worshippers as they were coming into the house of the Lord. They were the ones that set it up, they were the ones that did the preparing, they were the ones when everybody had gone, they were the ones that picked up the Machidi. Packets that were left by the worshippers and put them in the bin. That's the sort of guys that these were. Now, I don't know whether you've noticed this a lot yet, but we've been talking about the As- Asaphites a lot, the sons of Asaph. Now, they were the musicians, and they were the glamorous ones in the temple. They were the, the guys like Tim Harmon that, that stand in front of you and have people flocking to adore him as he goes out for coffee because he owns a a decent set of drums. Phil does not have that effect as he has drummed because you can see he only has a cheap set of electronic drums. So there's no comparison. So, So he wouldn't have been a son of Asaph. Now these were musicians. They were in the temple. But they were different to the guys that we have talked about because the guys that we have talked about basically did the menial work in the temple. That was what they were up to. The sons of Asaph had the glamorous job. The sons of Korah had the the menial, basic, bog-standard jobs to do. But I want you to notice this. That even though their standard, their, their station, their calling was not very high, they did two things. They loved the house of God and they loved singing about it. And what I'd like to do this morning is I'd like to do a little bit of an experiment with you that I haven't done before. And that is that normally I try to construct some things with some headings, follow those headings and follow them through. And today I don't want to do that because actually what I'd like to do is I'd like to behave like a son of Korah. So I've got less notes. And what I want to do is I want to just speak a little bit from the heart rather than this will not be as theologically... Um, brilliant as you've come to expect from Phil Harmon. But the reason is that you might look at this psalm and say, this is a really cleverly constructive psalm. But actually, it is not. The psalms, some of the psalms that we've read are very cleverly constructed because they're written by musicians put together and poets and put together in that way. This is not one of those things. This is basically a psalm to tell you how the doorkeepers feel. This is their hearts. So although you are reading and thinking, I could never write a thing like this, this is them doing it. This is them expressing their heart from their position as a doorkeeper looking into the house of God. Now, so what it is, is that it's observational. It's, and that's the way that I want to try and be this morning. They were affected by what they heard and, and what they saw. So actually, this is a psalm about the emotions, and is designed to touch our emotions. It was how they felt. It was something that was in them. And so I want to see whether that's where we can go, that we can let it touch our emotions. Now, some of the emotions might be, how dare you say that to me? Okay, then let's do that. Others is, "Let let me see whether we can get under your skin a little bit. The other thing is that what I'm going to do is just have a chat with you, okay? And just see whether this is where you are. Because that's what they would do. They were expressing their heart. It's not very formal. So I'm not going to be very formal with you, okay? So that's where we're going. I want you to notice in verse 1 that what they do is they start off by saying, How lovely. You know that. You've seen it a lot. It says, how lovely. That's a reflection, isn't it? That's a conclusion. That's, that's what they think, having considered an awful lot of life. They've come up with the conclusion, how lovely. Now you will know, how lovely is thy dwelling place. We'll just hold that for a minute. They have come up to this conclusion. Do you know yet that until you come up with that conclusion that you will not be as free as you would like to be. It's true. The reason that some of you struggle is just this, that you have yet to come up with the conclusion, how lovely, how lovely, how lovely is all this that surrounds God. Actually, the problem that you have is that what you say over here is that there are some lovely things over here. And God wants you to discover how lovely the things of him are. And that is the thing that sets you free. And actually some of, you are all, some of you are thinking, well actually I think, and it's true, that's the conclusion they'd come to. These are the guys that had watched in the temple, they'd seen in the temple, they'd experienced it, they'd watched people going. They had watched people. They were people watchers. So they'd watched you and everybody else come in and out of the, the whatever and they'd come up with this conclusion. How lovely. And I want you to know what will rescue you. I want you to know from me to you, it's free. How lovely will rescue you. When you think that other things are lovely and this is not, that is where your trouble will begin. Because you are torn and you can't serve two masters. And they have come to that conclusion. How lovely. Do you know how liberating that is once you get to that point? These, these guys were liberated in doorkeeper worship because they'd just come up to the, how lovely. And you know, they'd looked upon different people and they said, they haven't got it. They have got it, how lovely. I wonder, you know, is that some counsel that you'd like to give to somebody? How lovely. But they also said this, how lovely is your dwelling place? How lovely is your tabernacle? Um, this is not, I, I love the pillars. The pillars are wonderful. Let's hug the pillars. This is, I love the tiles. Don't look, the, the, the tile, this isn't a civil engineering feat that they're looking at here. They're not sort of thinking, no, love the marble floor. Let's stroke the marble. Love the ornate tiles. Have you ever watched Time Team when they dig it up and they go, love the tasserai. And you pick it up. No, this was not anything of this at all. This is, this is, uh, to do with the people of God. I, I love it here, is what they're saying. I love it here. I love to be here. It's that sort of thing. I've discovered this. How lovely it is to be here. It's, and they, that's what they're doing. They're just sort of saying, I love being here. Do you know? It's true to say that, again, uh, You know that you have to come to this place. You have to say this. And and until you do, it won't help you at all. You have to go, I miss being here. I miss being amongst you. I miss being here i mean you know and you have to that has to become if we, if we want the church to grow if we want this presence of god to be with us if we want those gifts that from the people if we want to see those restoration things that that chris was bringing about if we want to see all of those different things you have to have in your heart how lovely is your dwelling place you have to say i i've come to love being in church with these people you know, what, what gets me up at 7.30 to sort of go and drive over to D-side? Because I, I want to be there with those people. What about the prayer meeting? Oh, the prayer meeting. The prayer meeting is such a... It's 7 o'clock. You Why know, well, is it 7 o'clock? Because actually if you did it at 7.30, I might just manage to get that program in, all that sort of stuff. And actually some of you, and I'll say this bluntly because I said it was about emotions, you've never been. And I want to say to you this, You are missing out, absolutely missing. You missed a blinder last Sunday and you have no excuse at all because actually in here, yeah, you haven't got it in your blood that you want to say, I want to be with these people that I, I'm a part of them. I'm joined with them. These are my family. It's not, it's not about a I, Catherine I, Finch Centre. Nice building. No, not nice building. How lovely is your dwelling place where the people of God are? That's what you've got to get. And if you want that, you, you know, it's no good you saying, Lord, bring revival to Wrexham. And then actually what you do is just turn up to an occasional thing on a Sunday. It doesn't work like that. Revival starts in us and with the people of God. We, we experience it together. You know, and that's what the psalmist, I love it. And do you think of this? This was the doorkeeper. What did the doorkeeper? You know, pleased to meet you. Come by, pleased to meet you. This was the doorkeeper saying, I love these people. Can you imagine him watching the flocks as they were coming through and going, I love these people. I love them. We've got to get through the whole psalm. But more than that, he says, I love the, I love, how lovely is your dwelling place, O oh, Lord of hosts. He's actually praying it to God. He's actually looking around at the people and thanking God for those people. O oh, Lord of hosts, I so appreciate Martin Thompson. No, thank you. See, only one other person did not. But that's the sort of thing, isn't it? This is, it, he, it, is, it is in effect a prayer. It is a pr- do you know, you can pray through the address list and you can, the good thing that you can do is not pray just for the needs of these people that are meeting amongst, with you this morning. How about you thanking God for them? Thanking God for their salvation, thanking God for all the things that they've gone through—they've, you know, uh, amazingly around. You. Have you ever just, you know, sometimes we do this, don't we, and you—you you can you can feel people just freeze because we say, "Please turn round," and just thank God for the person, and you feel people just, no, I do not want to. Pro- what is it? Oh God. I, you know, I just want to say this. I've lo- I love foundations. I just love, I've loved our foundations from the day that I've, why do I do? Because I can see God knitting my heart with some other people. And they, and they just go, they think it's bad because they think they've, they've been called to the pastor's house. They've got to go, and they've got to, and the funny thing is, the first ones, they behave. <laughs> By the last ones, they sin. Badly. And, and I, just, I just look at it and I watch them open up. And they say, the midway through, they go, oh, I'm terribly sorry I said that. And I just, I just and I go, God's at work. God's at work. And I just love it. I love being there because it gives me an opportunity to, to spend time with some people that are just coming into the church again. And I just think, oh, I've grown. And I have to say this, guys, I have come to love you. And appreciate you, and see that it's God's gift. And if you've not joined the church, then here, this is a plug. Do it, just do it. You know, don't argue theologically and practically. Just do it. God joins hearts, <coughs> How, and, and it's an it's a prayer thing. It's what it is. Oh Lord, I want to thank you for Rupert Leslie. It's extraordinary. I just want to say this to you. It might when when I met these guys, I boy. <laughs> but I can say this, this guy, and this has been an extraordinary work of grace. And when God joined us, our hearts in a little place in Ruge, and we popped over to to, Ruge, to Coventry to see you, I did not know what God would do in your heart. And this week, you sat in my, my front room telling me about what God was doing for you and your wife in your, the future. And I absolutely wet myself in delight <laughs> because I thought I've had the privilege of sharing and I'm sharing my life with you. That is an extraordinary privilege. It isn't just, oh, I've got a mate. No, I haven't. I've got a kingdom mate with God at work in their lives. It is mad. And it applies to right across this board. How lovely, how lovely is your dwelling place? Oh, Lord of hosts, is that your prayer? So I told you it would be just off the cuff, really. Didn't See, you know... And then, they, then it does something strange. It's sort of the psalm. Just tell me to stop at a certain point, Phil. Just do it. That, that's enough. And, and the psalm gets under there. I don't know whether. You know, the, the idea of scripture, the idea of the presence of God, is not so that you can make a conscious effort on life, it's that so God gets in your very being. That's that's why Jesus describes you as being in Christ. It gets in your very being. It sort of tickles the toes and gets to the thing. It's not sort of, you know, I'm in Christ. I can understand that theologian. No, I'm in Christ. It gets underneath there. That's the idea. The idea is that Jesus gets to you. You are in Christ. And the psalmist sort of experiences, doesn't he? Verse two. Look at that. He just says, "My my soul longs," and he goes, "Yes, faints for the courts of God. My heart and my flesh sing for joy to the living God." Look at the language here. Ask yourself: Is this your language? Is this how you would describe yourself in regard to your relationship with God and how you meet with people? How you meet with people. Look at this. Longs. Is there a longing. Faints. Faints. Flesh singing for joy. I don't know whether you've just thought about this. It's almost as if the courts and the temple are a person and the doorkeeper is actually a passionate lover. Now, I'm all right because my daughter's out. But I have to say... Because he gets embarrassed at these things when I talk about it. I have to say, if I was talking about my relationship for my wife, I would have to say, I long. I would say that I faint. I would say my flesh sings for joy. For I was just away at the Brighton Conference, and I, I hated it. Brighton Conference? No. Missing wife? Yes. What sort of emotions did that have in me? It was terrible driving back from Brighton. It was as if the car just would not go faster. (laughs) It just wouldn't. And it's these sort of terms. It's sort of a passionate lover term. Are you a passionate lover person? Is it just in your head? Is it? Are you? Is it something? You know? Does it get under the skin in in regard to your relationship with God? But listen here, he. He's talking about the temple courts. He's talking about church here. He's talking about how he views church. And I have to say, he certainly views church different for me. He longs for church. He faints for church. His flesh are singing for joy for church. How will the church be changed? It will be changed by people who believe passionately about it. That's the only way. That's what it is, is how do you do this church stuff? You believe in it. It gets under your skin. It affects your body, causes you. This is how we do it. You know, it's, well, I I just don't believe in church. No, come on. This is what the psalmist was talking about here. Not only that, the whole body is affected, you know. So when we're together, it it should be an emotional time together, folks. It should be. It should be fun and tears and laughter and mistakes and all sorts of different things. We could just, let's just be together, folk. It's wonderful. This, if we cannot create a place where we can be secure and safe, where we can laugh and cry, we might as well go home now. But if we can create something like this, then God can use it. The, the world can be confounded by it and that sort of stuff. And I don't know whether you're like me, but I just think, oh, Lord, Lord, look at this guy's view. This guy's view. I'm longing to be here. Fainting. It's got me. Has church got under your skin or is it something that you fit in Wednesday if I'm free? true. Then the doorkeeper looks up to the roof of the temple. Now I want you to imagine that this doorkeeper is possibly on the outside so he's looking in. This is not a doorkeeper in, this is a doorkeeper looking through and in. Now some of you will know that experience. Some of you even this morning feel like you've looked in. You're looking through the doors and you're looking in. Actually, you wondered, what was it that Belinda was doing? Why and I feel like that? You thought, you thought, you know, when people, you know, you just thought, you've even come for a while and you thought, I'm just looking through the doors, looking in. Just that's the way that it is. This is a doorkeeper looking through the doors. And he says in verse 3, Even the sparrow finds a home, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may find her young. Extraordinary. He has realised that the temple is not just a home for the big spectacular bird. But the average commonplace bird is very welcome. He looks up and he thinks, there's sparrows up there. There's birds up there. And he just thinks, that's me. That's me. Then he just thinks... Nobody's chasing them out. Nobody's saying, stop them nesting. And he come to the conclusion that, hey, this is their home too. That the sons of the musicians, welcome. The doorkeepers, welcome. The people that feel like sparrows and swallows or whatever, welcome. The courts of the Lord have become a safe place for the swallow and the sparrow. Incredible. Incredible. Now, sparrow. Now, swallow. I want to say this to you from Scripture. This is your home. This is your home. Commonplace person, don't have a particular gift that you think that you can bring to the church. Don't be able, can't think in terms of, well, what can I do? I can't play like Phil. I don't have a gift like Rupert. Can't thrash drums like Tim. Badly. I... I don't know what I bring to this church. I want you to know this. This is your home. It will always be your home. It should be your home. And you are welcome here. Sparrow, you're welcome. Swallow, you're welcome. Here's the extraordinary thing. The extraordinary thing is actually the church is built on a lot of swallows and sparrows. That's the thing. And we must make that welcome. Well, What about these things, you know? I was up a, at a meeting. Um, I can't tell you where it is because it's been recorded. Uh, and one of the, one of the questions was, was just raised like this, and it was raised, what do we do about special needs? Huge question, isn't it? What do we do with the special needs called sparrows and swallows and i i have to admit i just said we make them welcome (laughs) it's a little bit more difficult isn't it no we make them welcome no we make them welcome verse three says where she may lay her young at your altars o lord of hosts my king and my god I want you to notice that not just does this, the the sparrow and the swallow are near to the altar of the Lord, they are nearer to the altar than the doorkeeper. Wow! The sparrow can be closer than the doorkeeper. Isn't that incredible? What a wonderful promise that the sparrow and the and the swallow can be close to the the aroma of God coming from. The altar near the presence of God, and it's interesting here. It says where she may lay her young, where she will make a home. Here's the sparrow. Here's a you can make your home near the presence of God. The doorkeeper comes to an amazing conclusion. The sparrow is welcome. More, more than that, the sparrow and the swallow can experience the presence of God. They can be near. It isn't just for the few folks. The, the few shakies on the front row. Third song in, right hand begins to go. Fourth song in, left hand begins to go. Fifth song, leaning forward in jerky fashion. <laughs> Rubbish. Come on. The swallow, the sparrow. You too can experience the presence of God. Let me read you something that is picked out of this psalm and quoted by Jesus. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat and what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on, is, is, li- is not life more than food and the body more than clothing look at the birds of the air they neither sow nor reap gather into barns and yet your heavenly father feeds them now hear this are you not more value than they? who argues with the value here? you or God? you don't argue with God. He's bigger than you. He just pick on you in the right way. And the response to this truth is to cry out in praise and to worship. Verse 4 Blessed are those that dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. The word blessed is that they have found happiness. Happiness. Happy is the word. Those who dwell in your house. And it's true to say. Come on, guys, that the, one of the purposes of God for the church is to be a happy bunch of people. It's okay to happy, to be happy. We will not sing the happy song at the end, I promise you that. Because that doesn't make people happy, that just makes people sad. But they, it's nothing to do with that. But it is, it is like this. It is, it, it, how do I say this? We should be, the church should be, the most happiest place on earth. Let me just clear this up. This doesn't mean, and it is not, a license for Chris to tell more jokes. That is nothing to do with happiness whatsoever. It isn't. We just need to just clear this one up. We'll put it on the internet for the whole world to see. But happiness, surely we should be developing our relationships so that the world can see that in the kingdom of God and amongst God's people there is joy and happiness and it causes us to, to worship God but let me, just, let me just pick something out here it's because, it's because happiness is because what we do is that we say to the church ladies let's get together and shop on Thursday's late night Debenhams Or, you know, can we get the guys together and, you know, is it about drinking coffee or what films we like? Uh, Or even, these people are my age group. Or even, I like these people. They're the ones that pray for me when I talk all day, they pray for me. You know, all that sort of thing. I just want you to see how unity is defined by... Hello, Tom. You're right. Did I get that wrong? Oh, you put your Bible. Fantastic. <laughs> it's in Psalms. You'll find it. I think somewhere in there you'll find it. If you give it your mom, she probably might be able to find Psalms, but not might not. It might be there. Psalm 84. But I, I just want us to know this: that if you look at it, how is unity defined by the psalmist? Is unity defined that we all should su- support Wolverhampton Wanderers, you know, all these different things, who are playing Wrexham tomorrow, tomorrow evening? Much prayer is required. <laughs> <laughs> I got it in somewhere, Mick. Okay. <laughs> but, oh, <laughs> but I want to. Say, blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. Ever singing your praise. Unity is simply defined for us as a people ever singing your praise. That's it. Because actually, where the presence of God is, all the things that we want to happen will happen. If you try and make the things happen without the presence of God, they, they won't happen. But if we if we agree from whatever we've gone through, whatever we're doing, whatever we're experiencing, whatever has happened, whatever you know, whatever state that we're in, I, I, I'm going to be committed with these people to experience the presence of God, to sing God's praise, to put my issue down, and to put His issue first, and all these things will be added to you. It's the same thing. Unity is defined. Not by the things that we do together, but by our worship of him together. To be in the temple with the, the people of God. Verse 5, blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose hearts are in the highways to Zion. Strength, biblically defined, is the ability that is found in Ephesians 6 to stand in the face of whatever is thrown at you. That's what strength is. Well, this is coming my way. I still manage to, I still, you can tell where biblical strength is not there because when it's thrown your way, you go for a lie down. <laughs> now, I'm not saying you should, you know, I'm just saying that that does, happen. but you know, it's, it's sort of like a spiritual thing. No, I, you know, I know this I, I, and this, I'm gonna pull all the resources from, so that I can stand. You know this because look at it. It says, on the highway, on the, on the way to Zion. So these are things that are not in the temple. They're out of the temple. They're out of the temple experiences. If you remember in Ephesians chapter 6, it says, put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to what? Stand. That you may be able to stand. That's strength in what? The schemes of the devil. Strength. That's strength on the highway. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand the evil day, having done all to stand firm. Biblical strength defined again. Stand, therefore, that's a bit more simple. But I want you to know where strength is found. Because is my strength found in Phil Harmon's magnificent love for me? No. And neither is Phil's strength found in my magnificent love for him. Why? It's because in this world, I will still sin against him and he will sin against me. That's the truth. So I can't, uh, you know, uh, it's only when our, we're in heaven together that we will have perfect love between us. Now, the blessing comes, fr- our strength comes from you. From you. Meaning, don't leave the Lord in the temple. Take the Lord on the highway. There are too many temple Christians. And actually, we weren't designed to be temple Christians. We were designed to be highway Christians. That's how we were. We're people of the highway, not of the temple. This is the bonus. This should be the icing on the cake. We, we, we are we're, we're highway now, I want to help you to see how you experience strength and God on the highway. Verse 6 says this, As they go through the valley of Bacar, they make, make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. Now, I want you to picture this. The Bible description of valley is always a vulnerable place. <laughs> how many of you know a vulnerable place? Hands shoot up, you know, But I want you to know this, that in your vulnerable place, the scripture says that he is both there and you can receive both blessing and strength in it. But God isn't the God of the temple. He's the God of the temple and the highway and he wants to. But I want you to notice how you change the highway because there's no doubt when you look at Ephesians 6 that the highway is pretty bad. Highways, not good. Valley is not good. It's just true, isn't it? What it says this is that as they go through the valley of ba- Bacar, they make it a place of springs. They change the geography of the valley. God doesn't change the geography of the valley. You change the geography of the valley. We're not saying that the valley is, is not bad. The valley is bad. We're not saying that you are not vulnerable. No, you are vulnerable. We're not even saying steep size and very hostile. No, all of those things. What it says is this, that you change the geography of the valley. And until you get that in your heart, the, the valleys will always be the rotten places. The rotten places. Look how, they ch- how you change the geography of the place. Take time to make sure that I create a a place of springs. Look, as they go through the valley of Bacar, they make it a place of springs. They make it. The person that's walking through the valley, the vulnerable person, makes it a place of springs. I will, knowing that I've done this, make sure that I am being fed, watered, and, and in the presence of God, more than than I am normally. I will make it a place of springs. Now, I want you to hear this because here's the water for you. It is really interesting that the way that you react in a valley and the way that you react as a vulnerable person is not just to do with you. It, you think it is, don't you? I am going through my personal valley. This is it. Look at my personal valley. Nothing, when you're in the kingdom of God, is individual any longer. We're saved out of individualism. We're brought into the great kingdom of the kingdom of God with the people of God. So therefore, your valley experience is not just yours. But it's not just that you can get a blessing. It's that what you now do can create blessing and strength for someone else. That you can actually help someone else through. If you look at it, it says this, they make a place of springs and early morning. They. So as you do it, as you press through, as you experience God, as you walk the right... How many people know this? about? I'm just doing the right thing right now. Do you know when you're doing the right thing that you're pulling a great amount of people through the valley with you? Do you know when you're saying, no, I know this is tough, but I'm still going to go to church. You know, do you know you're pulling a huge amount of people through? No, I, I know I don't feel like praying at the moment. I know that I'm, you know, that, that famous un-theological, I know that I'm angry with God how can he be angry with God you know, and, that's sort of, and, you, and you, you know that when you change that you pull enormous amount of people with you you create a spring for them it's not just about you it's about them you're pulling them through you're allowing them to be watered do you know what happens not because that's what happens you think well actually I'm angry about this I'm cheesed off about this I'm fed up about this I'm not doing about this and everybody looks at you and go yeah so am I You actually give a load of people an excuse to behave like you. That's what happens. No, we create a valley. I'm going to dig this in so that I can be refreshed and therefore they can be. It's not individual. It's not your little thing that you're going through. It's our thing. And when we come to go through ours... We will be looking at you to see where, how you dug in, cr- collected the rain and just dropped your head in it. It's wonderful. And the product of this, if you do it, what happens to them? Verse 7, they go from strength to strength. See, it's not just about you. We go, we go from strength to strength. They, you you managed to do it and you help, you're helping people. What what better thing to do? The journey through vulnerability rather than being wearying changes both you. And it changes them because it says that each one appears before Zion. Do you know that? Do you know that? Well, I'm stuck in the valley. Get it in your head. Because it's a valley doesn't mean that God's not there. As you, as you do these things, as you dig in, as you press through, as you experience the presence of God, now God, as they appear, be, you will appear before Zion. Isn't it wonderful what Jesus experiences those times? When he says, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. There's lots of things like that. You know, and you think, well, why am I not hearing from God? Well, I have to say... It's because you're not doing what God asked you to do right now. Do what God has asked you to do, and you will appear before Zion. Wow. You will get through this to Zion. Verse 8. At the same time as pressing through their vulnerability, there is an intentional prayer life. Wow. Verse 8. Oh Lord. O God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give, give ear, O God of Jacob. We won't finish this, but I'll just get a little bit further. I want you to know this. We cannot get through life without this thing called prayer. You can't. I'll start as an individual. We'll work our way up. Individually, you should be praying. Why should you be praying? Because you can't get through without it. It's just a simple fact. There should be times in your day when you are telling, worshipping the Lord and telling the Lord all about you and him. You're telling him about him, who he's, he's like, uh, and you. And, and the trouble is that probably you think, yeah, bare minimum, it should be. I want to ask you, you know, is this, is this you? Oh Lord, oh God, hear my prayer. You know, when was the last time that the Lord heard your prayer? When was the last time that you had in your, is your diary marked in with the Lord? Is it there? Not with the pastor, with the cell group leader, but with the Lord. With the Lord. Where's your with the Lord time? How about your family? If you're married or we've got children, they're still at home. You know, where, where's your with the Lord's time together? Where are you worshiping, reading the word? You think you can get through, don't you, without it? No, don't be fooled. Don't be fooled. We're on the way through the valley here. We're on the highway here. We're not in the temple here. It's not temple prayers. Do you know what temple prayers are for? They all impress Steve. Mm-hmm. It's what temple prayers can do. They can be the, they're the eloquent ones. You know, the ones that sort of, you know, that sort of stuff. Jesus told us about that, didn't he? He told us that with the Pharisees. The temple prayers can just oppress. So, no, this is you alone with your God. I can't do anything about that because I don't have enough words of knowledge, except those. No, but (laughs) but you see, it's that. Are you family? You know, cell group. Come on, are you are you praying together, families? Are you praying? Singles? Are you praying? Church? What is the prayer meeting about? It is about coming together because we know that we cannot do this without God. At this point, see now, what you do is you look at your shoes. Because you, you want Nigel to change the subject. But I just wanted to say this to you. you. You want me to give an answer. Here is my word of wisdom. Pray. And you know, sometimes it goes like this. It goes, it goes something like this. Phil rings me up and he says, "Oh, pastor of great wisdom and, and great experience and, and such compassion and mercy please, would you pray for me? And I go, oh, Phil, worthless worm that you are, person of lacking ability, stupid and foolish person, person with no brain, no ability to construct anything. Of course, I will come and pray with you. Do you know what the Bible says? About your prayer, it says the prayer of a righteous man avails much. You ask me to avail, but you don't ask you to avail. You ask me to avail, but you don't come and avail together. And you want to get through. You want to get through the highway and the valley. Verse 9, I'll just move on and where, where shall I get to? I'll get to better it is one day in your course than <laughs> a thousand elsewhere. Don't you dare sing that. No. <laughs> I just, I just, I just want to just show you something. What I want to show you is I want to take you back to the doorkeeper of the sparrow and I want to show you something because I just want to convince you how God can use you. In verse 9 uh, we have The most theological and deep verse in all the things. Now, most of you like, how lovely is thy dwelling place? But actually, the most profound verse is verse 9. Verse 9 says this Behold our shield, O God, look on our face of your anointed. Now, what I would like to do is that for the first time at this point, I'd like to use my notes. So I'm just going to read them to you with meaning. So I want you to bear with me because what has just happened is very profound. And I believe the very profound thing can also be with you. When you press through, when you press through as a praying people and as a praying family, you get to not only hear from God, but deliver what God is saying. Wow. God, you open yourself up for God. God speaks to you and you speak from him how do I know that let's try and put this in a theological thing God is addressed as Yahweh the God of Israel behold our shield O God that God is called to behold our shield not the round square rectangle thing that goes with the sword just hold that the doorkeeper Then asks to look upon the face, the favor of what? The anointed one. Look again who this person is speaking about. Who is our shield? Who is the anointed one? Well, (laughs) the shield is Jesus. He is our shield. He is the, the giver and the protector of our salvation. He is our shield. He on one sense is the anointed one. We're in him. And because we're in him, we can look upon God's face. Behold, our shield, Jesus. Now, because of him, look upon the face of your anointed one. That's outstanding. This is, this is a person going through the valley. This is the doorkeeper. This is the sparrow thing. This is the, this is the, this is the swallow thing. Um, and what do they do? They realize who they are. They prophesy about Jesus. And they say, I have found favor. You can look upon this anointed face because of my shield. One incredible thing. What wonders to come out of the doorkeeper. Now hear this, doorkeepers, sparrows. (laughs) There's some wonders yet to come. Jesus not only wants you to know who you are in him to strengthen you, God wants you, wants to use you and speak prophetically through you to a people and a nation. This psalm would hold nations together. The Messiah is coming. The anointed one is. The shield is coming. This is a prophetic word for a nation. Oh, doorkeeper. You can prophesy to a nation. Wow. Extraordinary, isn't it? It's not the wisdom of man, is it? It's the wisdom of God. Wow. For we'll do the uh, for a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere let me just say this again it's about the quality of the experience rather than the quantity but has a day of God's pleasure made a difference yet for you is that your view of church wow I'd rather have a day here than a thousand elsewhere fantastic it's true isn't it a thousand what about, a fortnight elsewhere three weeks elsewhere latest Harry Potter Stuff church you know, are, you, are, you a, are you a day there I'm just going to finish on this I want to finish if I can on a serious note and then I'd like us to pray together for the folk in Oslo because we should have got to the end but I want to just say this Because what happens is that the the psalmist changes a slight track. He said, I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of God than dwell in the tents of the wickedness. And there are two things here. One is that the doorkeeper sort of misses the action a bit, doesn't it? I don't know when you know. The doorkeeper sort of misses the action. The, The action goes on beyond, according to them. But he has come to the conclusion, this, that actually... Even the doorkeepers can experience enough, enough to be able to live on. That The doorkeepers' experience can be so powerful, so profound, so deep, so wonderful, that it is enough. And you need to know that. And you know that because this is one of those sort of things where you we know, see Moses and you know, the, the glory of God. Look, you know... The glory, it's, it's the end bit, as Moses catches the end bit. You know, the end bit is enough for you, and we need to know that. But even the end bits can bowl you over with God. Even a threshold stander can hear God. A doorkeeper can experience God. A caretaker, a sparrow, swallow, they can all experience God. But it's also a somber moment, Because what the the psalmist does is that he brings something into it that you would think, uh, I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. And I don't normally finish on a low, but I want to finish on a low, if I may. Because I don't know whether you've noticed this, that what he's saying is the doorkeeper is also saying, I'd rather be on the edge than actually in wickedness. And it's stark, isn't it? Because I don't know whether you've noticed this, that you know, wickedness is not something that we now talk about. In fact, I noticed that when Camilla was talking about um, what's it and what's it getting married, that she described it as wicked. It's, it's, it's the, the phraseology has changed. Let me say this to you. I, I, I feel that we have downgraded sin in the church and in that actually, you know, sin has become a problem. I'm just having a problem here. No, you're sinning. You know, I'm just having a difficulty. No, you're sinning. And, and I think sometimes that the way that it works is this. If you look at this verse, it says this. I'd rather be a doorkeeper than dwell in the tents of wickedness. How does this work? It works in the choice of where you live. That actually some of you here have made a choice that actually I want to live there rather than here in Gateway Church, Wrexham. Or in, in any other church. You've made a choice. I'd rather dwell somewhere else. That's the first thing. Because sin begins in the mind it's always a thought action before it's an action so and you've made a thing i want to live i want to live here now that's your first mistake the second is what we now call it i think we have to name it as the church <coughs> we do have to name it we sort of excuse sin don't we we sort of you know well you know, I have some friends that are, are there. We sort of say, you know, I'm just struggling with the world a little bit. That sort of thing. It's even been described as, you know, uh, with the, the youth we describe, you, know, that you don't understand the, the peer pressure that they're in. I'd like to just uh, put a, a thing to, to in regard to the church. I'd like to say this. Church... Can we just state it as it is? Sin is wickedness. And if you are into sin, you're being wicked. And the only answer to that is it's not that you should receive counselling, it's that you should repent. Because you can't have faith unless you repent. That's the way that Jesus said repent and have faith. And if you think that you know, we we get because what happens is that people sort of you sort of you're trying to pull them out of it. No, it doesn't pull them out of it. You repent, and we need to say that you know, we, the church needs to preach sin and wickedness. <laughs> but I want you to know this, that actually the reason for that is that God wants a glorious bride, and He wants a holy bride. He wants a bride that represents him and not the world in which you live and I live. He wants to reflect all his glory and not our glory. He wants to reflect not the X factor, but him himself. And, you know, I'm just sometimes a little bit cheesed off that we don't see ourselves as the bride of Christ. This holy, we are a holy people. And to be a holy people... We have to then say, sin is wicked. You say, oh, it's a bit harsh on them. Okay, don't blame me. Blame the psalmist and he but a doorkeeper. I'll finish just with this, verse 11. For the Lord is a sun and a shield, for the Lord bestows favor and honor, no good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. So if you you are toying with sin and you are uncomfortable right now, tough, (laughs) be tough, squirm if you must. But know this, no good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Walk uprightly and no good thing will he withhold. We'll finish there and we'll leave it there because I didn't get on to rest and all that sort of stuff. Um, I'd like to ask you in a minute to stand <laughs> and just pray together for a brief moment. Do you think you can do that? Yes. <laughs> if you can't, you've disobeyed the sermon. Okay. I'd, I'd like to, to just pray in groups for Oslo, um, the nation and the, and the people before we go. Um, I know that it is a nation that um, is uh, is a very secular nation and so is very different to us. But because it's a secular nation does not mean that they don't need God right now. And the situation really is that there is an immense amount of comfort that needs to come to those who mourn. It just does. And, And only spiritual comfort will do it. It's the only satisfaction that you can get. We need to comfort those who mourn. The the leaders of the nation need a huge amount of wisdom right now. Need to know how to cope with the two things, how to even cope with Monday morning, because their legal system means that this young man can stand up in a court and basically say what he wants. That's going to be humiliating and both dangerous, isn't it? He's going to let you know what he thinks. We wouldn't do that here, but they do it there in their legal system. Their wisdom right from their solicitors and barristers, and uh, uh, they really need wisdom. It's sort of almost saying, well, we'll just give this person a platform to say, what I, whoa, it's deep. We, so there is real wisdom in leadership. There is a real need, uh, to to break fear in the nation, you know this thing. I don't know if you've seen this. Is this one man or is there others? Did it, you know? Will it happen tomorrow? You know all that sort of stuff coming through now, swelling, swelling through. You know, do do we go on holiday? Do we not? You know, the, do we let our children go out? Do we go in public places? All that sort of stuff. Uh, perfect love casts out fear. all fear. We need to also pray for the Norwegian Christians. There are churches uh, in Norway, uh, and those churches are, um, are, are small, but they are there. And they just need to know God's grace with them, and they need to know how to get alongside that, alongside. But also, we need God to rise in the nation. It is a secular nation. Uh, very small percentages go to, chur- go to church and worship God uh, if anything they've got a ca- uh, um, a Catholic background, uh, but um, that we need God to rise uh, and uh, so uh, you know that God would use this as an opportunity for people to find him so there's there's the things: comfort for those who mourn, wisdom for leaders, a breaking of fear, Norwegian Christians, and God to arise. Would you like to find yourself into just small groups and just pray? Uh, for that before we have coffee.